0: welcome you are listening to Sunday Afternoon Films with me Christopher Windsor part of the Iconochromatic podcast network before I begin I will warn you there will be spoilers about the film so if you've not seen this before I would recommend switching off watching the film first and then coming back and listening to this podcast other than that enjoy the show Good afternoon and welcome to Sunday Afternoon Cinema with me, Christopher Windsor, and joined by my now co-host, Mike Larkin. Not to suggest there's anything co-host about him, I consider him to be a host also, but you know, I've got a big ego, so I like to think of myself as the main host, and I hope that's quite alright by you, Mike, and if it's not, well, it's my podcast, so, yeah. Is that alright by you? Yeah,
1: that's okay, by me.
0: Cool, cool. Okay, well, this week we are reviewing the... (laughs) This week we are reviewing the 1980s Blues Brothers, um, directed by John Landis and written by Dan Aykroyd and Giant Landis. Um, This is a film I've never actually seen before. This was actually selected by Mike this week. Um, So, Mike, I will let you take the reins from here. Tell us what it's about, why you've chosen it, And what you loved about this film so much to begin with?
1: Well, The the Blues Brothers is a very simple story of uh, two lifelong reservist brothers, Jake and Elwood, the Blues Brothers, who, once reunited when and Jake is released from prison, go to revisit their childhood orphanage. Whereupon they're told that the orphanage is going to be closed unless they can raise $5,000. Said brothers then go on what could be considered now famous mission from God to raise the five thousand dollars, uh, spreading may- mayhem and chaos wherever they go, and entertaining the masses. Um, this this film, Chris, the reason I've chosen this film, this is my personal all time favorite movie. The first time I saw it. And I can tell you the exact date was the second of September, 1990. And the reason I remember that date it was my first day of secondary school, and my mum, on the way home, rather misguidedly, told me I could choose any film in the in the video shop <laughs> to to rent. So I saw, for some reason, I saw The Boys Brothers. I saw the cover. And just these, a very simple cover, these two guys and the Boys Brothers, and the words, they're back. Now, for me, I thought oh, that must mean it's a sequel. So I went on a hunt around the shop, only to be told, no, no, there's, there's no fair, this is the first Boys Brothers movie. So I chose that, and my mum kind of tried to talk me out of it. Um, But I stuck with my guns and said, no, no, that's definitely the film I want. I don't know what it was, I'll say, but it just drew me. And um, it's the first of what could be called the Saturday Night Live movies, really, um, in that the characters started off, much like Wayne and Garth and all those other characters, started off on uh, Saturday Night Live. And for me this film has just got everything it's got it's entertaining it's funny it's got laughs all throughout and the little star cameos that are pepper through uh, just just make this movie a delight for me a real delight
0: what what did your mother think of it when you eventually got home and started watching it did she watch it with you
1: she we all watched it as a family Um, And, you know, my my mum really really enjoyed it. She really did. And here's here's the thing as well. That original 1980s VHS copy, uh, later on, the video store went up for sale. Uh, Sorry, they were closing down. So they, they put everything in the shop on sale. Now, I bought that VHS, and this was probably 25 years ago for £5.5 five whole pounds. <laughs> it was a
0: lot
1: back then. Had... It was a lot back then. That was, that was half of my pocket money. Uh, well, it was my pocket money plus some of my um, people around money. Um, but I went in and bought that, and I've still got that original 1980.
0: VHS copy. I mean, I think this high, you know, not not to go off on too much of a tangent already because I know we did it last time, but I think it's an interesting thing—the whole concept of actually renting a video from somewhere that kids today just wouldn't get. You know, the the equivalent to it these days, I guess, would be the likes of Netflix and um, Amazon Prime. But the example. idea. The idea of having a video rental store such as Blockbuster or, um, or indeed Ritz back in the day, oh, that's probably that's... a very alien concept. And the fact, you know, if we turned around to kids these days and said, not only could you rent videos, not only could you buy videos from these places, but you could actually rent VHSs, they'd probably be used they... if you are mad. They cost more than DVDs
1: and Blu-rays,
0: <laughs> and you had to wait well over a year before you actually got your hands on a film after it had been um, out on DVD. It's like um, I got the girl on the train on DVD the other week, and part of me was thinking, "Why am I having to wait so long for so long for this to be released?" You know, why? Why am I? I mean, it's like we don't ever born these days. We really don't.
1: Uh no, movies are released on Friday and Saturday and they're out on DVD on Monday. <laughs>
0: and I, I think I think one thing that I remember, and you were probably the same, was the, shall we say, unofficial video rental shops, when it was usually um like a paper shop or, or somewhere that would have a wall of VHS tapes that Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Um Yeah. It sounds like where you rented this from to begin with was very much one of those setups. No,
1: no, this was, this was a proper video store. Oh, it was? It just, right?
0: It
1: wasn't one of the major chains. It was just a local shop. Mm. But it was a dedicated video rental store. And they had a small selection of, of uh, video games as well for the Mac and <laughs> System and Reyes. <laughs> I'll go um, over
0: there so as well. The-
1: Anyway, to get, back, to get back on track, uh, the yes. movie, What we all, what we all thought on the movie, going into it for the first time. Right.
0: Okay. Um. Okay. The first thing that I want to say about this film is I didn't hate it. Okay. There were certain parts that made me smile, and there are other times that made me laugh. But overall, I can't understand the legacy that the Blues Brothers. Seems to hold. If right. someone asked me to describe the plot of this film and what it was about, I would basically say that it was about Jake and Elwood who needed to raise five thousand dollars to pay a bill for a foster for a foster home rather in which they are raised. They offer money, but it is not accepted because it's seen as dirty money, and they they're never explicitly told a time frame of when the money needs to be provided. There doesn't seem to be, they don't, from what I remember anyway, they don't say, we have to pay this bill within 24 hours, we have to pay this bill in 48 hours, otherwise oh, we're going to get do
1: shut one down. Do no one does give them a time
0: frame. I thought she did. I thought she remembered it back. What was the time frame?
1: Oh, I can't. Um, that's a poor point that it does escape me. I think it's, I think it's a week or something like that.
0: Yeah, I, I thought it. I thought it was a period of time, but it wasn't exactly a twenty-four hour or forty-eight hour period either. You know, um, but I think if someone turned around and said, "We've got to pay this bill off in a month," wouldn't these be exciting or as fast-paced? And oh. so, to talk about the plot a bit more, they decide to go and get the money back in, and the only way by doing this is to getting a band back together um, that they formed years ago, and um, by seeking every member in what appears to be quite a large band in order to raise the money and get into. It's a, band. It's a proper band. Man. It is. If... It is. It's a huge band, and they seem to get into wacky and wacky adventures whilst they're trying to get the band back together and trying to secure a just trying to secure try a gig. In bigger, in bigger and more dramatic scenes, including a longer lengthy car chase, which includes going into a mall and jumping bridges, and God, also try, trying to be killed by a mystery woman, who never has a real explanation or a reason as to why she's there. It's never Three really explanations. It, 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 it's never said who she is, or what it she's is. trying to do. Ooh. That is all
1: explained.
0: What? She's Jake's... Jake's fiancé who he jilted. Right. The so altar. Why, why does he want... So he wants to kill her because... You see, that's the problem. This is one of the problems. That didn't come across to me. So that was the main reason why she wanted to kill him. Would that be correct? Yeah, that's,
1: that's the
0: only reason she wanted to
1: kill him. It's it's, it's real at the end, before they make their baby escape, that she waited... For him at the altar, um, the, the the high the cathedral, and everything was set up, and all the rest of it. And he just didn't turn up. So she's plotted her revenge ever since. A bit extreme. <laughs> this is women for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I I I don't think that the, the the role really needed explanation? it's just a crazy, crazy woman, played wonderfully by the way, Carrie Fisher.
0: I was going to say, I was trying to figure out exactly who that was for a little bit of it, and then I suddenly realised who it actually was, and to be fair, yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, the film's, the film carries on, and honestly, I'm just not sure what to say about it. It, it, it dragged for me i didn't care care about the characters of Jacob elwood because i wasn't in enough, enough time or reason to do so and this is possibly going to sound a bit nasty and this is possibly going to sound a bit harsh but just because they came from a broken home and just because one of them spent time in jail and based on their act- activities after release i'm not entirely surprised. And just because they want to save a place that they're raised, it doesn't mean I necessarily have an awful lot of investment or I necessarily care about these people. They spend so much tra- time trying to get gigs that aren't real, and in a seemingly forty-eight-hour period, that everyone just feels disorganized and a mess. I'm not sure what it was that Jake went to jail for, but both of them seem to be so disorganized and able to and unable to do just about anything. I'm surprised if the mafia ever took them seriously or wanted them to carry anything out. They weren't in the
1: mafia. I was just explaining that. They're um, good,
0: because they wouldn't be very good at
1: it. the they are just musicians who end up getting themselves into into scrapes. Um, that's literally all they are. Is is two blues musicians who. Find themselves in trouble regularly, and it, it. I don't think you're meant to feel kind of sympathy for them. You, you, at all. You're not meant to. You're just meant to kind of be to go along on this crazy journey with them. That's all they want. To join this crazy journey.
0: Yeah, I mean. I got the feeling that the whole through watching this film that it was somewhat going nowhere and that it was a, it was a road movie about the road it felt disjointed it felt disorganised it felt like the script was writ- was either written by an amalgamation of a lot of different script writers thrown and then it was thrown together or a group of script writers were sitting in different rooms at, the t- at a different time submitted it no one told them and then it was thrown together it it just felt well, that, a bit jumbled, a bit overproduced, yeah. and a bit over the top.
1: There's actually a, a bit of a famous story about the script. What mm. when Dalek Roy originally wrote the script, <coughs> he wrote it was over three hundred pages long. Jeez. Right. Which, um, which was he when he when he sent John Landis the script, he actually sent it in the cover of a yellow pages. Right. And we're talking about the nineteen eighties Yellow Pages yeah. in LA. So you can imagine how thick that was. Right. Um, and what he'd un- unwittingly done, he'd actually written the film and the sequel in in one. Right. So we can't like this is this is far too long. We need to we need to basically split this in half. So that's what that's what Dan did. Is he just literally he fat you know, split it in half and that's what the that's what he ended up with. Because that that was Dark Roy's first script. You know, this was pre Ghostbusters, pre anything else that he'd ever done really. Mm. Uh, uh, so he he only really worked on as I say, Saturday Night Live. Um which was obviously it's, it's, it's short, it's, it's kind of very short um, scenes that you're involved with today. So, he, he wasn't a seasoned writer at all. Um, let me see. Oh, sorry, you know, he'd written a TV movie for the Beach Boys before that. Right. So, but, certainly never a screenplay, anything like that.
0: I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I know very little about these actors. They're, they're not. I mean, apart from, I think the only thing I knew about Dan Aykroyd um, was the fact that he was in Ghostbusters. And I think the only the only other act- actors and actresses that really stood out for me were John Candy <coughs> and um, Carrie Fisher. And as good as John Candy was, he wasn't. You know, I don't really remember much about his character or what he did. Um, I mean, just.
1: You have to remember, John Candy at the time wasn't wasn't the star he'd become later in the eighties. This is true. This is true. And um, so this was nineteen eighty when they filmed it, so none of them were really major stars. Um, Dan Aykroyd wasn't wasn't the name he is today. Nobody really knew who he was outside of Saturday Night Live. Um, and the fact that they got together and made this film was kind of an accident in itself, because um, John Belushi was a heavy metal fan. Right. When when he first started Saturday Night Live, John Belushi was a metal fan. Dan Aykroyd was a blues fan. And, it, you know, they got, they kind of really bonded, got along over music. And it was Dan Aykroyd who introduced Belushi to the blues, and they start off, um, the, the very first performance they did of the blues Brothers wasn't actually as the Boys Brothers. They were just doing kind of a, fi- a, a few-minute segments and musical segments. And it was literally just these two guys on stage singing a song called King Bee and dressed up as giant bumblebees. And <laughs> uh, you watch the performance; it's, it's a very good performance, but it's it's literally them two in black hat, black sunglasses, and bumblebee outfits, and you wouldn't think anything would really come of it. But you know, obviously, it was popping with to the fans um, of the show, so it kind of stuck off and became a regular a regular thing that like they would do these, these musical segments. Um, but she really got into it, got into a it singing is performing after that as a result. Um, I don't know if you've seen videos of his performances, but he used to do, uh, Joe, like Joe Cocker impressions.
0: Uh, no, no. I mean, I mean, it's Joe, saying... Cocker.
1: Sorry, Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker was so good Joe Cocker himself uh, famously got a phone call from someone saying, hey, man, I've just seen your performance on Saturday Night Live. You were really good. He said, I haven't done Saturday Night Live. (laughs) It was John Boucher's performance that this guy had been watching. It was so, so accurate that even one of his friends, one of Joe Cocker's friends had thought that he'd been watching Joe Cocker.
0: I mean I'm I'm starting to I'm starting to get a little bit less negative about music music in film in general. Um I mean I went to see La La Land obviously the other week which is which is quite clearly a musical. I don't know if you'd necessarily call this film a musical but I would definitely call it a musical. And honestly I kind of I don't I didn't really enjoy it, I don't know there was just something about it and I feel like like I'm being far too cynical about this film. I mean... Sorry, sorry, carry on. No, 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 go on. I mean, there's just a few more bits that I would like to say, and then um, I will let you tell me why I'm completely wrong, because I'm... The thing is, I'm sure I'm wrong... The thing is, I'm sure I'm wrong about this film. You know, there's got to be something that I'm missing here, because this is a beloved film, clearly, and i don't know what it is i mean look i don't mind over the top humor i really don't i love films like hot shots and national loaded weapon one but with films like this they know what they're trying to be they know what they're trying to achieve they know what the audience they're aiming for and sadly it doesn't come across in this film which makes me wonder is that what they're aiming for are they looking for the same audience that Hot Shots and the, loaded wep- and the films like Loaded Weapon 1 are aiming for? Or are they simply putting it in there as a process and as something to drive the film along? I- I'm not sure. That's the problem. I I don't
1: think this, this movie is particularly aimed at any particular type of person, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, it's for me, it's got everything. It's you know, I say it's got you know, it's got humour. It's got you know, big cameos. It's got music. It's I don't think it's trying to be anything. It's anything. It's not it's not pretending to be anything. Yeah. apart Apart just a fun movie. Now I think what might have happened, and it, it, you correct me if I'm not. Wrong. You will have seen the, the the modern version, if you will, what I call the modern version. When i have got to be honest
0: with you. I've never seen anything Blue Brothers related until uh, Blues Brothers, rather, um, until the see, um, until you mentioned this to me.
1: It was I, I modern. I'll explain what I mean there. Hmm. Uh, my VHS copy of the Blues Brothers is probably a good five minutes shorter. Hmm than the DVD version and yeah. the version you will have watched. <laughs> um, it contains a lot of extra scenes. Uh, it, it, John Lannister recut it for when it came out on DVD. I don't know why, but he added all these extra scenes in that um, were considered...
0: I'm, I'm glad it, you said that, because that's actually the next point that I wanted to come on to, which was the length um, I watched the extended version of this film and it it was almost two hours two and a half hours long. And it's it was just too long in my opinion i, I went on to yeah. imdb to check on the original cut you know because i expected that to be a lot shorter to be perfectly honest with you and even that was just over two hours long Look, i don't have a problem with films that are long or or indeed sitting through long films i've seen films over three hours long and i've remained transfixed and attentive and i'm sorry but this this cut, this extended cut, and I'm going to say that rather than the film, based on what you just told me, is, um, sorry, I've lost place. Um, yeah, I, I think this cut has that failing for me, not necessarily with the film, but I just don't feel that this, the length of this film, was necessary. I don't think it added anything on, on for me.
1: Well, when I first saw it on DVD. I thought hang on What's... because the, they've got all these scenes added in there's one scene where Elwood goes to hand in his notice at the cheese whiz factory where he works right am I like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I, I'm thinking this wasn't in the mo- this was never in the movie and this is a movie I've seen over, I've seen probably a couple of hundred times over the years Um, I'm thinking this wasn't in the movie what the hell is this (laughs) and then I went back to check Um, between the two different versions as I say there is a there is a big difference between the two running times
0: I mean, the, the, the other things that bothered me um, in terms of the running times was the cityscape scene at the very beginning of it, showing um, smoke, pollution, and industrial where you could barely see the sun, you could barely see the city. What, what's yeah. the, what was the point? What was that showing us, John? what were you trying to tell me if it was because you wanted to say some representation about the city frankly you failed because i didn't know that it was chicago for an awful long time so what was that about please what was the point of that you wasted a minute and a, mile, a minute and a half of this film showing me that the other thing that annoyed me that was um that did this was and i'm sorry but i'm i'm being i'm being a bit picky here but what did that represent if you're gonna show something if you're gonna film something if you're gonna put something out there it should represent something and this represented nothing and the other thing that got me that was really overdrawn was the walking from the prison cell to being processed to being released I appreciate the film needs set up to get across a story, but this didn't help. If anything, it hindered it and left me thinking, I get it. The guy's in prison. Can we move on? This didn't help. The, the, I original, didn't bit, get it. the original
1: version of that scene, again, it was much shorter. It was basically not a bit where they wake him up. Yeah. Is in the original cut. It's basically just the walk through the prison to, you know, to the releasing area, you've got the scene with Frank Oz, where he's going through his belongings, and that's it. It goes straight into the intro from that. And even for me, I was watching it again last night, that it felt felt belaboured.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm I'm kind of glad you said that because I can't, as I say, I do think I should go back and watch this again. And if I do, I'm gonna watch the one that isn't the extended edition because I feel that, like, in 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 what is not meant to sound like a nasty way, but less is more. You know yeah, I
1: mean? the, the only scene I'd say that, that really benefited from the ex, from the extra cut was the the million million the mutter scene
0: remind me of
1: that one, sorry uh, where they're in the Palace Hotel ballroom they're trying to get in to the Palace Hotel ballroom but there's obviously everyone by this point has caught up with them and so the, they're rigging the, the good old boy's truck with the super glue on the pedal right, yeah Um, and that is extended and that works for me In the extended cut, more than any other scene. Uh, I don't know why it just does, (laughs) but the other extra scenes really, as I say, they add very much, pretty much nothing for me. So I would recommend going back and watching the original cinematic cut because it, the pacing, feels a lot more natural.
0: I mean, as I say, I I didn't I honestly didn't hate this. I might not have liked it instantly, but I didn't hate it at all. That there are there are a lot of good films to say. There are a lot of good things rather to say about this. You know, the the interplay between John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd is fantastic. the the way the way they bounce off each other is very well done. And you know, whilst I wouldn't have guessed that they were brothers, you know. In, in a literal sense, um, they were related, weren't they? They, they were, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily guess that they were related, but, you know, just in terms of their, think, their interplay, think, it's very well done.
1: I mean, you have to remember, by his point, the Bullies had actually gone on tour in real life. They had gone on tour and released a couple of albums. Right. So they, they kind of perfected the show. By the time this ever came around, um, and you said you mentioned the band before was a rather large band. Yes. Uh, the touring band and the original band were actually bigger. Right. Um, Paul Schaefer, who later came to fame on the lead show with David Letterman, was the yeah. original keyboard player. Okay. Um, he couldn't go out on tour with them. He, sorry, he couldn't be in the movie because of, I think it was contractual obligations with something else. Possibly David Lesman, actually. So, um,
0: was this a band that were big before they started going on SNL, or did they create this band almost as a side project, went onto SNL, and suddenly said, hey guys, we've got something here, let's run with this? Well,
1: this is band he created on SNL. For SNL. Right. And that became became big through SNL. And he went on
0: tour as a result. I mean as you say, so, some of the some of the people that they managed to get into this, you know, some of the cameos, I didn't recognise all of them. Um the, the three that really stood out for me, as I say, were the um solid departed Carrie Fisher uh Ray Charles, um James Brown, and whilst I didn't recognise him um immediately, um Cab Callaway, which is a name that does spring out for me. And like you said, I assumed that these people were real because when I'm looking through the names on IMDb, um you know they are have all got the same they've all got the real names in the in the um in, in their characters, they just happen to have uh nicknames.
1: Uh, well, James Brown doesn't... James Brown plays the Reverend Cleophas.
0: And he's oh. fabulous. He really is. I'll give him that. He, he, yeah. he, he reminded me, um, and I'm sure that it was done... And in fact, I'm sure that John Landis was involved in it as well, um, Coming to America, where you've got Eddie Murphy playing this outrageous, outlandish priest. I'm, yeah. I'm sure you remember it. So I'm, I'm assuming there's some kind of a link there of some description... Uh, there might be. Uh, John Landis did did
1: direct coming to America.
0: Um, so you know that that's probably where this came from. I mean, I like John Landis. He, he's actually very good. He's done an awful lot. Um, you know of good films. I didn't instantly recognise Ray Charles when I watched this, but then again, I was never especially a big fan of Ray Charles. Uh, I didn't know that the Reverend was played by James Brown. James Brown. Again, I'm not a fan of James Brown, so I wouldn't necessarily recognise him if he came up to the middle of the street. I'm surprised you didn't
1: recognise Spielberg. Sorry? I'm surprised you didn't recognise Spielberg. Spielberg was in this. Blimey. Spielberg was in it. Spielberg was The uh, tax
0: collector at the end. <laughs> I did not pick up on that, I'm not going to lie.
1: Um... Uh, uh, as I say, this film is peppered throughout. with, uh, And this is really the film that started, I think, the trend... Of the of the uh, the big Hollywood cameo, because um, you've got all these names peppered throughout. As I say, you've got Twiggy's in it.
0: I'm just having a quick look, through, Sorry, carry on. Uh,
1: Twiggy's in it. She's uh, she's at the petrol station. Right. That <laughs>
0: um,
1: uh, um, Elwood is flirting with, and here uh, he rips off. <laughs> um, as, as mentioned before, the, you know the, the late great Carrie Fisher, um Jake's ex girlfriend You've got all, got the, all these master bluesmen of the day. You know the likes of John Lee Hooker, um, as you said, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, who's just retired last week. She has, hasn't she? Yeah. Um, and the actual musicians in it were all famous musicians in their own right mm. before even doing this um, Steve the Colonel Cropper was a member of It Th- was a founding member of Booker T Th- and the MGs right Mac Murphy again you know, my, another master bluesman who's very famous, all big, big musicians. I actually had the, had the privilege of meeting my Murphy many, many years ago. Um, walking through Liverpool city center. That's pretty
0: cool, man.
1: Um, and it was just, I was walking along church street and saw him, at, I went, you're my guitar, Murphy, aren't you? And he went, yeah, man. I went, oh, I'm a massive fan. That's off. Thanks, man. You're the first person that's recognised me. (laughs) Um, I that's just cool. But literally, just walking through the centre of town and and saw him. And for me, it was a a huge thing. A massive, massive thing.
0: No, I can imagine. I mean, you know, I I can understand why people get on board with this film and why they enjoy it. I really can. I mean... uh, to give it its credit, the scene at the very beginning where they go to see the penguin, um, and they're in the uh, they're in the they're in the little desks, and he says, you know, he, he swears at her and says, I'm going to help you, and she says, what did you just say? He said, well, I believe, and then he repeats exactly what he said. Then she hits him with the ruler that He swears his. Uh, Elbert was and it just—it's just this massive comedian beaten up with this scary <laughs> nun with a huge ruler, and I'm not gonna lie, it had me oh. laughing out loud. It's probably Charlie is brilliant, isn't that? And when um when uh, they when he goes falling down the stairs, still in the desk, it's just—it's wonderful. I'll give it that. It really is. But the problem is, the film kind of peaked there for me, as much as I hate to say yeah. I mean we we've obviously
1: got different opinions on that I do respect your opinion and maybe it's because I to you. Maybe it's because we we did have that those different experiences with the different cuts and mm. um, that your experiences suffer or maybe it was just the fact that I was a very easily entertained
0: eleven year old, I don't know. I think it does make a difference. I mean the <sighs> Look how many people have criticised, you know, the latest, the cuts and everything of Star Wars, saying, you know, oh, you ruined this, George Lucas, you ruined that by putting all this, you know, and I, I don't really care about that. People who say things like that, frankly, I think you've got a bit too much time on your hands. And and may, maybe maybe this film was a bit too long for me, or maybe it was just the fact that I happened to be suffering from a hangover on Sunday morning and wasn't really concentrating. And I do want to see this again. I'd love to, I would love to sit down and watch this review. Because yeah. I think it would be a very different experience watching this with you. Yeah. Because I think I'd feed off your love and off your um, your reactions. I think it would yeah. probably help. Well, we'll have
1: to do that, then, man. We'll have to, have to arrange a date. <laughs> without it being a date. I mean, a date in the calendar, not a date date.
0: Well, it is not... Valentine's Day, so, you know. I like him, but I'm not that into him. So, do do you want to briefly tell me then about the Blue Brothers, Blues Brothers 2000? Have you seen it? Is it any good? If I go back and enjoy the Blues Brothers and find I love it, am I worth watching the sequel?
1: Um, in other words, probably not. This, no. It's not a film that's beloved by fans and the re- a big reason for that is it was kind of unnecessary, I think. I mean, the, the soundtrack is amazing. The soundtrack is phenomenal, and John, John Goodman has got a voice that you've you've got to hear. John Goodman sings. John Goodman sings, oh, yeah. and he is he is unbelievably good. But as I say, it was unnecessary for me. Um, the kid in it is annoying. <laughs> and for me I just watched it and I went, Oh Danny, what were you what were you thinking? Um As as I say back in the eighties when he wrote the first movie, he wrote the sequel as well. So obviously in the intervening years you know, a lot of the cast had sadly died. John Bluesy famously died young. Um so Obviously extensive rewrites were needed and the the Torum band of the Williams Brothers actually has um, James Belushi. Right. As opposed to John. And apparently he is in his own right a good musician, a good singer. He he performed the, the theme tunes of his own show. Um so it might it might have worked better if they'd had Jim Belushi in the movies in some way, um, just as an original nod back to, to his own brother. But, I,
0: mean, I, I The, the Blues I, Brothers I, is one of those films that I've been recommended by my father on a regular basis to watch. He he offered to lend me the DVD on so many occasions, and I always said, no, 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 I'm not interested. Um... I I couldn't tell you the reason why, and I think he also so, told me that the Blues Brothers two thousand wasn't an especially good film either. So I kind of suspected you were going to take you were going to say that. In all honesty, um, it, it's it's kind of it's the Godfather
1: three, right? Ooh, d- b- blind me. Whoa!
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's Jeez. the Godfather three of the Blues Brothers. Okay. <laughs> I don't see that lightly. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia Coppola, you know, name? Is it Sophie? Yeah, Sophie Coppola. Oh, <laughs> I mean, again, great cameos in it. Um, probably bigger cameos this time because obviously the the cash the cache is built up over the years, but. Completely unnecessary film. Um, I've been happy if they just released the soundtrack. To be honest, because the soundtrack, as I say, is amazing. Um, oh, and Miles Dyson sings as well. Miles Dyson. <laughs> you know from the Terminator Two. Oh yeah,
0: I can't remember the I can't remember the actor's actual name, but just imagining him singing. No. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he plays uh, Cap Calloway's son.
0: For um, some reason, could you could you imagine them ever trying to do another Blues Brothers film again, or do you think it's one of those franchises that I bet best just left alone? Because obviously, I think that, you know, we don't have John Candy anymore. We don't, as far as I know, we don't have John Landis anymore. But I could be wrong. Um, no, I John is alright. I thought. And uh, we still got Dan Aykroyd, haven't we? Still got Dan Aykroyd? Yeah. So, I mean, what, what, do you, what do you think? You know, rather like the new Ghostbusters film, you know, do you think this is another one of those films that are just best left in the past and enjoyed for what they were?
1: I, th- I think definitely, I think Wizards is, is, it's a product of its time, the original movie is a product of its time. And again, that might be part of what, why you didn't enjoy it quite as much is because it is very much an 80s movie. It reeks of 1980s <laughs> throughout. Um, so I, th- I think it's probably best off Left left Where It Was. We don't need another, a, you know, a Bill and Said 30 Years Later type of movie. <laughs> yeah,
0: but they're doing it, aren't they? They are. Apparently, anyway.
1: But no, for me, as I say, but it was two thousand. It was entertaining, but it wasn't. It wasn't wow. Yeah. If you know what I mean, there was there was no kind of. It was just a like a series of scenes that rep trying to replicate the original, while being original in its own right, and it didn't really work for it me. Didn't, it
0: didn't have the same spark that the original had for
1: you. It didn't, because there was not of that interplay between the uh, between a and blueshi which really what made it work for me is just the, the personal relationship them too had um, and and there's, there's many many stories of of the you know the story of those two when they were on on so and uh, John Bucci after filming one film one scene just kind of disappeared and everyone started looking for him going where is he where is he and actually performed a house to house search for him <laughs> and you know knocked on one door have you seen this guy yeah he's asleep on the sofa <laughs> and um And the nickname he had for him was, I think it was America's favourite cousin. Something like that. And literally, he walked into this guy's house in Chicago, raided the fridge, and then fell asleep on the sofa. Right. (laughs) Um, And Jack Royd now owns a chain of bars in America called the House of Blues.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I seem to remember you telling me about going to what... um... Was it, one
1: the, was it the one in Chicago that you went to um, in yeah. America? It was, yeah. Now the House of Blues originally, and this is a story I've actually picked up along the way. It's not of it's not on the internet, so you you may not read it. The House of Blues originally was basically anywhere Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi went.
0: Right
1: after filming, and um, there was anywhere they set up. And the you know, they usually have like a poker game, things like that going on. So it, basically any house they ended up in became the house of blues. In this instance the house of Jake and Elwood Blues, the Blues Brothers. And he later turned that into this as I say, very successful uh bar chain. Uh, I say bar, it's not a, not a not a bar, such it's, it's a club. Um uh, from you know, great place to go if you're ever in America, find a house of blues, go to it because you'll have a great night. Just remember to bring your passport because you do, because ID is required at the bar.
0: Well, I think that is as good a place to end it as any, to be honest with you. I mean, I gotta say, I think you really have sold it to me to try and you know, to, to re watch this again. and going with possibly a bit more of a, with an open mind. So, you know, thank you for doing that, man.
1: It's my pleasure, man. And as I say, this it's it's really just a, it's a simple popcorn movie. Don't try and, you know, work out what the character's motivations are. <laughs> Basically, they're all they're just two guys trying to raise money to save an orphanage. It's a very simple story. And if you just go into it with that, then that, that's what you need that's, that's all the motivation that you need and that, that should be all the motivation you need to watch it just save the orphans man
0: excellent ok well we'll leave it there then um, this has been Sunday Afternoon Cinema with me Christopher Windsor and with my co-host Mike Lockin uh, this has been a Iconochromatic um, production thank you for listening to this podcast if you like what you've heard please consider listening to the other podcasts that I've produced in the past and also the podcast that I have recorded with um, Derek on Iconochromatic. And please check out our website. Thank you very much for joining me again, Mike, and we'll speak to you all in two weeks' time. Thank you. Bye, folks. This has been Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Christopher Windsor, on the podcast network Iconochromatic. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.